Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm really glad that you're here this morning, and uh, thank you for choosing to be here at Hilton Head Island Community Church on this gorgeous, gorgeous spring day, Palm Sunday, and today is the day that we remember uh, that Jesus came into Jerusalem, uh, along with many, many other Jewish people during that day and age, and he came in to celebrate together the different feasts and the different celebrations of the Passover time. And uh, as he came in uh, there, he came in as a king. And as we just talked about and as we sing about and as we'll focus on uh, here over the next week, uh, he ended up dying and then rising three days later. And he did that for the sins of the world. And so today we are uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, we are in this series. We're in the second part of our series called The Case for Christ. It's a, a series that's really based on a book by a guy by the name of Lee Strobel, who is a journalist, an agnostic journalist, who was really striving to disprove Christianity. And through his efforts to journalistically, is that a word? Anyway, yes, it is. To disprove Christianity, he came to faith in Christ. And it's a great book, and it's been made into a movie that we are uh, buying up one of the theaters for this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So if you have some friends that, um, you know, maybe are unchurched, uh, we'd love to have you uh, out at uh, the uh, Sea Turtle Cinemas out in Bluffton today at 4 o'clock. You can tape the Masters, guys. It'll be okay. All right, it's just one year. All right, it's all cool. So anyway, we really uh, want to encourage you uh, to be a part of it and uh, be out there and excited. How many of you have either uh, seen the movie, just came out Friday, or read the book? Uh, the Case for Christ. I just want to see, yeah, okay, yeah, good, good number of you. One of the great, I think, modern classics of, uh, of our time in the Christian faith. And so today we come um, to the second of, of this series, and, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, kind of a little caveat uh, up front, that what we're going to be doing today um, is really, I, I really could take three hours and do this, I'm not going to do that today. So everybody breathe a sigh of relief. You're like, great, we get to go to lunch. Um, so anyway, I won't be doing that today. Um, what, I, what I'm going to be doing in the little time that we have this morning really is it's exhaustive. It's almost too much. And so what I've done is in your notes uh, that you received and you walked in today, you actually have some of the verses that we're going to be referencing. We're going to be taking a look at a few verses, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a look at every single verse specifically because we just don't have time to look at all of those, but I wanted you to have those, and if you go online, you can get the full exhaustive notes uh, of everything that we're going to be looking at today. And uh, so don't think as we walk through this that I'm being unbiblical because, uh, you know, that's why I wanted to make sure that you had the Bible because we do believe that the source of truth, of ultimate truth, is God's Word, without a doubt. And so, you know, um, even though today we're going to be looking at other evidences of the case for Christ. And that's what we're doing today. We're exploring the evidence. And Lee Strobel did this in his search to disprove uh, the case for Christ, disprove Christianity. And um, it's interesting, after this, he, he began to write all these books, and, and he uh, began to do some radio shows and TV shows, and he got to interview a lot of different people. And one of the stories that he tells of the most interesting person that he interviewed um, is a guy by the name of Hugh Hefner. All right. Okay, and I just won't say any more about that. But he interviewed Hugh Hefner, listen to this, to ask Hugh Hefner what he believes about Jesus. Interesting. He wanted to know. And they had an in-depth conversation. It was really interesting. Um, Hugh Hefner basically told Lee Strobel, I believe that there's a God. 
I believe that there is like some kind of being that something that like all of this had to start somewhere. But essentially what he said is, I don't believe the God of Christianity. And what he was saying by saying that is, I don't believe that Jesus is true. And so Hugh, or Lee Strobel came back and asked Hugh Hefner, well, if, if I could prove to you or if I could give you enough, an overwhelming amount of evidence to suggest that the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus might actually be true, you know, would that change things for you? And his response um, was something like this. He said, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. It confirms Jesus' identity as the unique Son of God and opens the door to eternal life for anyone who will truly follow him, as you, Hefner, that said this to Lee Strobel. He goes, on the other hand, if Jesus' resurrection is a legend or a lie, then Jesus is at best just another unfortunate crucifixion victim in a long line of failed revolutionaries and false messiahs. And I think in kind of um, his answer to that question, I think what he does is he kind of sets up this idea that if we can give enough evidence that like what Jesus went through, who he was, who he claimed to be, and what he did was in fact the case, a lot more people would actually go, man, I can believe this. And one of my struggles with our modern day Christian faith is, is that we as Christ followers are, are really, we kind of have a thin faith. Like it so quickly goes from our head to our heart. And it has to, at some point in time, it has to go from your head to your heart. But we kind of miss the intellect part of it sometimes. Or at least that's the generalization, generalization that the world makes. You see, we as Christ followers, we, we need to um, know why we believe what we believe. And proving the Bible against other historical documents is actually a good thing. Proving what God did or what he claimed to do and what Jesus claimed to do and what all of these Christians over time claimed to do and claimed to be, proving that against other sources is a good thing. It's something that I think that we should do because Hugh Hefner was right. If it's true, it's a huge deal. Everything rides on it. And so that's really essentially what Lee Strobel does is he begins to research his striving to, to make a case against Christ and then ultimately ends up making a case for Christ. Now, what, what I'm going to do today is I've, I've taken his research and condensed it. We've just really kind of boiled it down to three main sections as we explore the evidence for Christ. And today is going to be a little, little detailed. Um, I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm not a uh, scientist. Um, I'm not an, a, a trained apologist. Um, and, and some would say I'm not even a scholar, which I'm fine with, all right? That's cool. I'm cool with that, all right? So anyway, but um, we are going to be taking a look from three basic kind of like high-level points of view, um, Jesus' claims. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking three questions because I believe that we need to ask these questions to prove if Jesus, what he said that he did and what there's evidence you know, written that he did is actually true. And so the questions that we're going to ask is, is, first and foremost, was Jesus alive at point A? Was Jesus dead at point B? And was Jesus alive again at point C. And for those of you who ha happen to be in here today and maybe you're skeptical or searching or, or even cynical, my prayer would be that the, the logic and the, the reasoning through some of this and comparing it to some other documents or at least having the ability for you to go and, and do that on your own would help you in your ability to go from your head to your heart. 
And for those of you who are here today and you're already Christ followers, that this would really help you engage in terms of what you know about the Bible and that you could explain it to someone else. So let's just dive in. Um, first and foremost, we want to make this claim, uh, and we want to ask the question, was Jesus alive at point A? And so we're going to begin with that. Was Jesus alive at point A? Well, I believe that he was alive at point A, but there have been, throughout history, people who have questioned the validity of Jesus' birth. Now, this one of these three, I'm going to spend the least amount of time on because it's the one that's most easily provable. Because throughout history... Uh, even, even other sources, other ancient sources, in addition to, to the Bible, um, prove that Jesus or have evidence that Jesus was in fact born. Um, there, there's only really one kind of stream of thought or mindset or, or kind of philosophy that people might buy into, and some of you may have picked this out, picked it up in the Da Vinci Code, the movie or the book, that um, Jesus' claim um, to be the Son of God and have uh, died in a crucifixion and risen again three days later really was just a, a legendary story, and they base it on the fact that, that there are other legendary stories referencing you know, Greek, Greek legends and that sort of thing. And, and, but, the, but there is a lot of evidence to the contrary. In fact, um, most scholars have really picked apart this, this whole Da Vinci Code thought that Jesus was just a, a legend um, by suggesting and, and really looking at the date and the history of how things happened because most of those legendary things that um, talked about uh, someone you know uh, rising again from the dead really were something that was copied after Jesus's death burial and resurrection not the other way around and so T.N. D. Medinger says this, the nearly universal consensus of scholars around the world is that there are no examples of any mythological God dying and rising from the dead that came before Jesus. These resurrection myths came after Christianity, so Christianity could not have been the thing that did the borrowing. Medinger added, there is, as far as I'm aware, no prima facie evidence that the death and resurrection of Jesus is a mythological construct. It is not a legend. It is truth. And we see the truth in the gospel accounts. Again, I'm not going to go into them, but we see the truth of the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth in Matthew, and we see it in uh, Luke and John. We don't see it in Mark because Mark largely, if you read the book of Mark, picks up when Jesus was a little bit older, picks up the account of Jesus when he was a little bit older. But we do see that in the claims of, of the gospels. We also see it in some of the claims of unbelievers, Bart Ehrman, an agnostic New Testament scholar who was absolutely no friend of all to Christianity, said this, the claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every single ground. And if you take the evidence, if you take the evidence and compare it to history, we absolutely can come to the conclusion that Jesus was alive at point A. There's really no denying his birth and his life. There's really no denying in history that he did live. The, the thought that he was a legend has absolutely been, been proven by evidence and, and history and other documents, secondary and, and third documents, that it is absolutely not true that it's a legend, that this was in fact true, that Jesus did, he was born. Now, the second claim is a little bit harder to make, and that is, is that Jesus was dead at point B. And so if we, we can make the claim that Jesus was alive at point A, then we have to kind of compare it to was he dead at point B. We have all the gospel accounts, all four gospels in great detail describe Jesus' death. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All those verses are there from Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 20, and John 
19. But some have denied throughout the years his death, including the Quran. And, and so we, who is correct? Are, are those correct who claim that Jesus did die this brutal death on the cross? Or are those correct who claim that he didn't? And that perhaps somehow he survived the crucifixion and got down off the cross and was able to escape somehow and the whole thing was just made up. Who do you believe? Who do we believe? Well, if you take a look at other non-biblical accounts of Jesus' death, they line up perfectly with the Gospels. You can do your own research on this, but Josephus, Tactius, Lucian, um, uh, Serapion, uh, who was a philosopher, uh, verified that. In the Talmud, we see it. We see it in a lot of different areas uh, with uh, writings that were of ancient and of old that were in the same time frame as the Gospels and correspond and parallel the story of Jesus' death, the account of Jesus' death on a cross in the style of crucifixion. And so if we set aside the spiritual part of things, if we take a look at things from just a historical standpoint, the evidence is clear that Jesus died on the cross. But then there's this idea of, did he actually die? And Lee Strobel, in his search to determine whether or not Jesus actually did die on the cross, he asked an interesting question. He said, could it have been that Jesus somehow, as some suggest, survived this crucifixion. And to find out his, the answer to that, he asked a doctor to meet with him, Dr. Alexander Metherell, and, and he helped him understand and, and helped him kind of prove this part of the story of Jesus. And, and you'll see this if you're at the movie, you'll see this portrayed, but I, I want you to see this clip from the movie as Lee Strobel is portrayed here asking Dr. Methrell about the possibility of someone surviving a crucifixion. Check the screens out. So forgive me for making you travel all the way out here, but when someone rings me up and says he wants to dispute the most significant event in human history, I feel it's important that we do it face to face. Don't you? Yeah, that's fine. I, uh, I, I appreciate your time. You. Right, uh, so we're... Uh, just doing some research on the effect of stress on the hormone levels in mice, which is an ongoing project of ours. But I assure you, you shall have my undivided attention. <clears throat> okay, I'm, then I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so my line of attack is this. The reason the eyewitnesses were able to see Jesus after Golgotha is because he never died on the cross. Because if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. Right? That's right. So, so whether or not Jesus himself or, uh, or someone else took him off of the cross early, or if he fakes his own death, it doesn't matter. It completely discounts every aspect of the resurrection. Right, the swoon theory. Yeah, but he passed out. He didn't die. I'm afraid there's a long line of skeptics in front of you with that hypothesis. Including only a billion Muslims the world over who also don't believe that Jesus died on the cross because the Quran says so. With all due respect to Islam, the Quran was written six centuries after Christ. I prefer my historical sources a bit closer to actual I understand, events. But, but, yeah. but you concede that it's possible. Uh, Mr. Strobel, I am a medical doctor and a scientist. I have seen a great many strange phenomena in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But this one theory is rubbish. <laughs> rubbish? That's, uh, is that a, a medical opinion? <laughs> you know, it is, actually. Um, 
Swan theorists tend to skim over the fact that Jesus was flogged prior to his crucifixion. Do you know what happens in a Roman flogging? Um, yeah, the person is lashed with a whip. No, not lashed. Scourged and pummeled savagely. You see, the, the galloped whip is braided with metal balls and bone fragments. The flesh on Jesus' back would have been shredded. The very muscles and sinews themselves laid open to exposure. The flogging itself would have left Jesus in critical condition for massive blood loss, which is why he collapsed under the weight of the cross that the Romans made him carry through town. Okay, so is it possible that Jesus survives being spiked to the cross? Oh, yes, you could survive it, but it's child's play compared to what comes next in a crucifixion. Slow, agonizing death by asphyxiation. Mr. Strobel, the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the best attested events in the ancient world. There is no historical evidence of anyone, anywhere, ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Oh. And, if you will, the final nail in the coffin of the Swan Theory is this. When the soldiers thrust their spear between Jesus' ribs, do you know what came out? Blood and water. Which we now know is a description of periocardial effusion as a result of death by asphyxiation. This is not a condition anyone could fake. And so to answer your question, yes, it is my medical opinion that Jesus Christ died on that cross. But, but, but I, gotta, I have a real problem with most of the experts that I've talked to here. Which is? Uh, which is that most of them are not impartial. And if I'm going to take a guess, I would say that you are not either. And you would be correct, sir. Though I have learned that most impartial travelers who undertake this journey rarely remain so. However, I can refer you to one of the most impartial sources that I know. Would you trust the Journal of the American Medical Association? Of course, it is a stellar scientific journal, even I will admit that. On the physical death of Jesus. <clears throat> Clearly the weight of the medical and historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Doc, I gotta tell you, you're, uh, you're not telling me what I hope to hear today. I don't know if you caught that. But he was reading from the American Medical Journal, the American, from the Journal of the American Medical Association, that stated specifically that Jesus was certainly dead at point B. E even, even agnostics would admit this. James Tabor, a New Testament scholar, says this, I think we need to have no doubt that Jesus' execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead. Dead. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludman says that Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. So was Jesus alive at point A? Yes. Was Jesus dead at point B? I think we have to conclude that he was.
Yes, he was. And the last one is the most difficult to give evidence for. The last one is the most difficult to give substantiation for. The last one is the one that is most difficult for us to to comprehend even in, in our minds and in our hearts. And that is the claim that Jesus was alive again at point C. And there are two strands of evidence that establish that he was in fact alive again at point C. And that is the empty tomb and his appearance to over 500 different people over the course of about 40 days after his death. The Gospels speak of the empty tomb. Matthew 28, 6, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. They all claim that when the disciples or when Mary and Martha or when the centurion went in and looked in the tomb or went in the tomb, that his body was no longer there, that he was gone And so then then the question arises, well, perhaps his body was stolen. Perhaps he was taken out of the tomb in in some kind of, uh, you know, cover-up and some kind of, uh, you know, concealment. Well, who would have done that? Um, There are several different people that would have done that or groups of people that would have done that. But there's supporting evidence for, for the empty tomb itself. Just three things real quick. First and foremost is the Jerusalem factor. The Jerusalem factor essentially says this, that someone who um, went through the brutal uh, beating that Jesus went through and the the brutal crucifixion that he went through um, could not have been buried essentially in the same city that he was uh, buried in uh, and and removed from that burial without someone knowing what, what went on. And so there's the Jerusalem factor. Scholar uh, William Lane pointed out that the site of Jesus' tomb was known to Christians and to non-Christians alike. And so you have the Jerusalem factor. The, the second factor that we have that really lends credibility to the empty tomb is the criterion of embarrassment. You see, it was Martha and Mary who went to the tomb. They were one of the ones who saw Jesus as recorded by the Gospels. And back in that day, um, someone testifying, a woman testifying to that event would have absolutely been thrown out as, as ludicrous. And ladies, sorry, please don't shoot the messenger. Okay, that's the way it was in the first century. Even in court, if a woman was not allowed to testify in court. Okay, don't, again, don't blame me for that. Okay, but that is true that that was the case back then. And they were the ones who saw the empty tomb. They were part of the ones who saw the empty tomb. And then also that Jesus' enemies attested to the fact that the tomb was empty lends credibility. But how did the tomb get empty? Well, there's a thought that there are three different groups of people that might have taken Jesus' body out of the empty tomb. The Romans could have taken him. But you know, they wanted Jesus dead, right? The Romans wanted Jesus dead. He, he and his followers were call, causing too many problems. They were causing all kind of problems for the government and the officials. They wanted him dead. They wouldn't have taken his body. The second thought is is that the Jewish leaders took his body, but they wanted him dead, and quite honestly, they wanted him to stay dead because his claims earlier in his life to be the son of God and his claims to one day rise again from the dead were the very thing that they were fighting against with this one named Jesus. And then the other group of people that some think may have taken his body out of that tomb were his disciples, but they had no motive, (laughs) they had no resources, they really had no ability to do what some suggest 
that they may have done. And so I think we can say with certainty that there was an empty tomb and that Jesus was no longer there. And then you have his appearances. Appearances as a risen Savior. The empty tomb probably is enough to establish that Jesus rose again from the dead. But listen, I want you to hear this. Christ followers, skeptics, doubters alike. God didn't stop there in the story. He allowed his son to come back to earth and appear before people proving or at least giving very credible evidence that he was alive again at point C. There's about nine different historical accounts. I've kind of boiled it down to, to just a few. There's the 1 Corinthians 15 creed. And if you read the, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, it's like one of the very first like church creeds. We believe this to be true about Jesus. And in verses 3 through 7, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared, I want you to say that word with me, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, talking about the disciples there, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Now, why is this important? It's important because of the timing. The timing has so much to do as we stack up the evidence for or against the claims of Jesus. The timing is so important. The timing of the documents written, the timing of when they were delivered, the timing of the message coming forth. And as Gary Habermas points out, it kind of, he's developed a timeline. Jesus was crucified around A.D. 30 or 33. Paul wrote the 1 Corinthians in about 54 or 55 A.D. within 25 years of his execution. And as the doctor said there, I only trust sources where the time frame is close to the actual events. We can trust God's word is true because of the time frame. In fact, Galatians 1, 18 and 19 says this, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. I visited Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And we can be assured that the message that Paul received was delivered and everything happened in a very short time frame. Lending credibility to the fact that Jesus did rise again from the dead. The second thing I want to point out is Paul's testimony there. And you can read the whole story of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, that whole creed. He, he essentially verifies uh, because of his testimony in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was there and that he saw Jesus, he himself. So his own personal, his own personal account is included there in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> Check this out, a, ser a sermon summary. Some of you are like, I'd like that every week, Todd. Thank you very much. Acts 2.32 says this. This, this, Jesus, um, this Jesus God raised up, and all of that, we all, of all of that, we all were witnesses. We all were witnesses. And then finally, we have the accounts in the Gospels of the risen Messiah over and over again. We see in the, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus appeared to many different people after he died. One of the most compelling things, I think, is this last one. And that is, is that early church leaders that are not in the Bible, that were alive very shortly after the, the biblical events, 
wrote about the disciples and their witnessing Jesus after his death. And boy, that lends credibility. Their names are a little weird. Clement, that's not too weird. But Polycarp is a little strange name. Okay, that's fine. You don't want to name your kid that. But here's what they say. This is Clement. Clement said, The apostles had complete certainty caused by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote that, and he was actually uh, someone who uh, was a church father who was uh, ordained by Peter and wrote a letter to the church in Corinth there verifying that these disciples saw Jesus after his death. And so we can be assured that this is true. The evidence is powerful, it's overwhelming, and we have just... We have just touched the tip of the iceberg. Was Jesus alive at point A? Absolutely he was. The answer to that question is yes. Was he dead at point B? Oh man, to think about what he went through for us is hard to even accept sometimes. But yes, he was dead at point B. Was he alive again at point C? Yes, I believe that he was. Alive again at point C, even the most difficult one to prove, even the most difficult question that we've considered today, I believe that he was. And I believe the evidence for that is overwhelming throughout Scripture and throughout other historical and ancient documents that verify that Jesus was alive, that he was dead, and that he was alive again. The struggle is is that sometimes we may know something here intellectually, And we never allow it to sink down into our hearts. And so if you're here today, I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. I want to appeal to you to not just allow it to stay here, but allow the message of what God was doing in Scripture and all throughout human history to, to, to come down into your heart, to, to, to be something that you not just believe intellectually, Hey, listen, some of, us, some of us who are Christ followers, we need to know it better. We need to believe it more intellectually. It's already gotten to our hearts. But there are some of you here today who haven't received. And as we mentioned last week, the formula is that we believe plus receive equals become a Christian. So my prayer and my hope is, is that today, that if you have never, that you would receive this truth That as Hugh Hefner said and C.S. Lewis said, is the most important thing that has ever happened in human history. And we begin to celebrate that this week. Today, a world away, there were 37 plus people who died in Egypt for their faith. For their belief in the story that we just talked about. They gathered together in a church, Coptic Christian church in Cairo. And a bomb went off in two different places. And they died for their faith. And here we are. We have relative certainty that we are going to be safe when we come and we worship. But there are people all around the world that today are standing up and they're gathering in worship knowing that that might happen. Knowing that their life might end or they might be harmed or they might be put in harm's way. I want to challenge all of us today. To allow what happened in Egypt this morning, today, just a few hours ago, to really sink into our hearts. The people throughout the course of human history have died for this. Why would many of these apostles and followers of Jesus go through the brutal death that they went through if it all 
was just a lie, if it was all just a myth, or if it was all just a legend? What's our response? What are we going to do with Holy Week? What are we going to do with the fact that we celebrate today Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and next week we celebrate his resurrection? What are we going to do with that? Well, the case for Christ is overwhelming. Maybe today it's your day of salvation. Maybe today it's your day to receive him as your Savior. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for what you did. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it's, it's painful deep in our souls to think about the flogging that you went through. The phony trial that you had to endure, the mocking And then having those nails driven hard into your hands and into your feet. God, today I just thank you so much for the cross. I thank you so much for what you did. Because in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. And forever in human history, sin would exist in the world. But you said, hey, I, I love my creation enough that I'm going to send my son to die on the cross. And not only to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, but three days later to rise again from the dead. And God, we thank you so much that you did that for us. We thank you so much that you did that because you loved us. And God, I just pray right now for those who are in this room who may have never accepted you as their savior. God, I pray that right now that uh, something that you've done in their life would Help them, God, to receive you as their Savior. God, I pray right now for each one of us who are in here who are Christ followers already. God, may we not take it lightly. May we be serious about our faith. May we live each and every day in light of what you did on the cross and what you did by rising again from the dead. God, help us to be strong in our faith. Help us to stand up for you. Help us to allow what you did to invade every part of our lives. God, I pray for those who are here right now who don't know you as their Savior. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud and just in the quietness of this room. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never in your heart believed but today you want to believe I, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer there's nothing magical about the prayer what's important is the intent of your heart and if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus as your savior just quietly just you and God just in your heart just you can just say these words or something similar to them God I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross and I admit today that my sin keeps me from you. And today I confess <laughs> that you are alive at point A, that you are dead at point B, and that you are alive again at point C. And I accept you. I receive you as my Savior that prayer in here um, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I won't embarrass you, but I just want to see your hand so I can pray for you. Would you hold it up high, please? This morning. Awesome. Anyone else? Just hold it up high for me. Thank you. Anyone else? 
say, God, I thank you for these who raised their hand this morning. I pray that you would anchor them to you and your word, and God, that they would live for you, and that, God, they would um, seek you out in times of distress and need. And God, I pray that they would be anchored to your word and to a church, God, that's going to support and love and help grow them in their faith. And God, I thank you so much for what you are doing. I pray for the Christians all around the world that are under persecution today, right now. And I pray for those that are in Egypt right now that you would just be with the family members and those who are involved in this terrible, horrific act of evil. And God, may, um, may it be something that spurs us on uh, to a deeper walk with you. We just thank you so much for what you did on the cross. And we praise and we sing now about that. In your name we pray. Amen.